Hey, pole dancer. Welcome to the Evidence-Based Pole Podcast. My name is Rosie Boa. I'm a pole dancer, pole teacher, and personal trainer. And I've started this podcast so that we can learn together, talk with the experts, read the research, and feel better on and off the pole. So if that sounds like something you're interested in doing, let's go. Welcome to this episode. I'm very excited. I am joined by Dr. Tia Upe Wallace, who you may know on Instagram as Self Care Physio. I'm pretty sure. Let me check my notes. That's all right, right? Yeah, it is. <laughs> Sorry, I'm very brain tired right now. So if I say silly things, assume that's why. Who is a pole dancer, a pole teacher, and a pelvic health physical therapist? And I know just like a lot of people in the world have pelvic health support needs, but also very relevant for, for us in pole and a lot of the stuff that we do. So yeah, I'd love to kick it off just talking a little bit about your pole journey. You know, how'd you get into it? How'd you get into teaching? All that sort of stuff. And then also talk a little bit about pelvic health, physical therapy, like maybe how you got into it. And you know, some people may not even be aware that it exists or what it is. So maybe some more details around that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. So I, like where I started on my pole journey, I mean, I would say started 11, about 11 years ago. So previous to that, I taught yoga. So I was Mm -hmm. a yoga practitioner and started in college and you wouldn't know by how old I am, but that was like at least 20 years ago. (laughs) So when I was in college, you know, got into yoga did it for a really long time, taught for a while. And then about 11, 12 years ago, I had a personal tragedy that happened. I need, I needed something different, just like the yoga wasn't doing it for me, despite how much I loved it, but I just needed something just to kind of get me out of my depression and everything that I was dealing with. And at the time I was working in Berkeley and there was a pole studio, like literally right across the street, like one block up. And I met with us who's recently has passed away, but she was, you know, she's one of the OGs was one of the OG, you know, pole dancers and instructors, you know, while ago. And she was just really great and was very welcoming for me as like a novice and a beginner. And, you know, I think like I did Ashtanga yoga, you know, so that was like, for me, it's like type A and like push, push, push and go hard, hard, hard. And so I kind of went that same way with, you know, pole is like, I want to do all the, the hard stuff and I want to climb and, you know, do like the laybacks and everything. And I, I, and I did, you know, I got a lot of the hard stuff and it was great. You know, I did that for a few years and then I ended up having a child at that, you know, a couple of years down the road. But then at the same time, I also started grad school. So grad school was like four years long and then having a kid. And so I took a little bit of a break. And so I was doing pole like on and off. I ended up buying a pole, you know, home pole, you know, and did that every now and again. And then I right now teach at Oakland Pole and Dance. And then before COVID, I was, you know, a student again, which is really great. I also took classes at Atomic Allure, which is also in downtown Oakland. So it was just like, you know, my whole like journey has always been very like committed and then, you know, life would happen and then I would get back into it and then life would happen. And then, you know, right before COVID, I was like, yeah, like, okay, I'm going to like, you know, get back into it and it'll be really solid. And I was doing really great. And I was like, you know, probably level two, level three, and then COVID happened. And then I kind of, and also like, interestingly, right around that time, I had like a knee injury from, you know, just not being very mindful with one of the poses I was doing, working on like an inside leg hang. 
So I recovered, you know, from that knee injury, still had my home pole and did as much as I could, you know, after COVID, you know, was still, you know, taking classes and everything and then had the opportunity to do a teacher training. And I thought that the teacher training would be just say for my own self-fulfillment and just for me to, you know, learn and become better at like the, a lot of the poses and stuff that I was doing. But then I was asked if I wanted to go and teach. You know, so which is great. And so I've been teaching just a full level foundations class, which I feel is, you know, especially because I still, even though it's been like over 10 years, the, like I can say, like I've been doing pole, but it's been so like infrequent that I wouldn't ever call myself like an intermediate student. I feel like I'm always still a beginner. Just like I just, I've been on summer break and summer vacation. And so I have not touched a pole in like a month. So, you know, so all of that. So I would say like, you know, I'm always kind of, I feel like I'm always still a student. I'm still like a beginner, you know, but I do have experience and, you know, in at least some of the poses that I used to do, I probably don't do them as much now, but definitely at least like, you know, getting through all of the basic, like, you know, how to climb, how to do spins, like getting all of that, which is what I teach in the foundations, which is great, especially for newbies never touched a pole, don't have like a lot of upper body strength or not even just like self-awareness of how their body moves because especially for someone who's never done pole, it's a, I would say it's a very different, you know, apparatus unless like you've done any type of like aerial stuff, but it's a different way of moving your body, of pulling your body up, you know, moving like more vertically than I would say like horizontally. And yeah, it's just so, it, it's really great to be able to, you know, teach a lot of those foundational skills. So that's at least, you know, on the pole side, and then pelvic floor, like I was kind of a, the personal tragedy that I had is like, I had a pregnancy loss. And so that really led me into having a better understanding of my own body. You know, I had the loss when I was in my like mid twenties. So, and I feel like for a lot of women or those who have just the way society is and schooling and stuff, they don't really teach you much about, you know, your body and your body parts and especially female body parts and how they work and what they're supposed to do. And so for me, like in my mid twenties, like learning about all of that was kind of interesting, but it was also really enlightening for me. And then because I had been in the yoga background and I'd been teaching for a while and around the time when I was deciding what I wanted to do next with my life, I had like, you know, three students ask, you know, at separate times over the span of a couple of months asked if I was a physical therapist, you know, cause a lot of what I was teaching it was very reminiscent of like physical therapy type exercises. And I had never considered it. Didn't think I wanted to go back to school. And then like, I'm from the Bay, I live in the Bay area and teaching yoga is, was at least it was back then. I don't know how it is now, but it was really, really tough. I was traveling all over the Bay in order to go and teach and, you know, make me, you know, teaching yoga. So I decided I would go back to grad school. And so decided to go to PT school. And I felt like it was such it was great because I could then at least still do yoga if I wanted to, but then I have this license and I'm like, I'm like certified, you know, not even certified, but I'm licensed, you know, so I can go into a hospital. I can go anywhere, you know, and be able to still take a lot of the yoga practices that I was doing. So I felt that that, and also I would earn more money. So the other big thing. So yeah. And then I got into PT school, you know, while I had a one-year-old did that for four years wow. while I was PT school, I had an instructor who was a pelvic health physical therapist. And so when I realized like, that was like, wow, I could actually do that. I, I thought it was strictly like orthopedics, like just sports, you know, I didn't really have 
that, you know, breadth of knowledge that it could be, you know, pediatrics or neuro or, you know, anything else. It's so when I realized that I could, you know, specialize in pelvic, pelvic floor health. I took some continuing ed classes while I was still in PT school just to confirm that, yes, this was what I wanted to do. And it was definitely like, yeah, it was definitely what I wanted to do. And I've been loving it since. So I've been practicing for almost four years. It'll be like four years this fall. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm always still learning so much about, you know, pelvic floor health. Everyone has a pelvis. So whether it's, you know, someone with a penis, someone with a uterus, it's everyone has a, you know, a pelvis and, and it does a lot of our basic functions like pooping and peeing. And we do that every day or multiple times a day. So I feel like it should be something that we talk about more often, you know, and not have shame around what our bowel movements are like, or, you know, if we're peeing too frequently or if we're having pain with intercourse. You know, if you're an adult, it is a basic function that people are doing and you know, we should be able to have easy discourse and conversation, you know, around those things and not feel shame, you know, around it. So yeah, and I like I like learning about things that that aren't things that are talked about, you know. So for me, it's 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 nice to kind of be definitely on the forefront because you know of the number of pelvic PTs, you know, compared to the number of like orthopedic orthopedic PTs, we're definitely a very very small number. So, but I think it is continuing to grow, and there's more people who are developing more awareness of it now, especially in bigger institutions and in hospitals. So. A lot of doctors are, you know, at least recommending that to patients, you know, it's at least a conservative approach rather than just going straight to surgery or medication or to deal with a lot of those issues. So, yeah, Yeah. that's, that's my journey. I think particularly, you know, thinking about Paul and coming in and out of it and having to recondition and then, you know, will be very familiar for a lot of folks. It's definitely a cycle that I've gone through as well. So extremely relatable. Yeah, Yeah. 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 But yeah, it's, it's been great. Like, you know, I've been, even though it has been like, you know, always like a reconditioning and having to, you know, get my calluses back, you know, and all of that stuff and, you know, realize like, wow, my upper body strength is like really poor. Cause I haven't done any like level of like lifting myself. It's always humbling. You know, that's, I think that's the other thing that I like about it is that it is a humbling practice, I guess you would say, you know, or sports, but yeah, it's just, you're always constantly, I feel like learning more about yourself and about how you're moving. And that one day, you know, it's going to, how you move on the pole is going to be very different compared to another day. It's summer and it's like super hot. And I'm going to be teaching right after this. And it's like, yeah, I'm going to be slipping and sliding on the pole. So then, okay, I'm going to be focusing more on floor work and which is great. You know, and I love that with pole, there's so many aspects you can do heels. You can do choreo. If you want to do like more like the athletic stuff, you can do like a lot of inversions and like getting up the pole. So I I love it that there are just so many different facets to it and it could really meet anybody's need, you know, whether it's just wanting to explore their own sexuality, you know, or if they're just like, you know, an athlete and they just want to kind of do like all the, all the hard tricks, you know? So I feel like it really meets everybody's needs. Yeah, I definitely agree. And uh, that was brings to mind something else that you mentioned that you like, you know, bringing to light things that people don't necessarily always talk about. And I think like with pole and the pelvic floor, there's like, I don't know, not necessarily taboo, especially these days, but certainly like a degree of what's what I'm looking for. It starts with an S and stigma. Okay. <laughs> I warned you, the brain, the brain is fried. <laughs> there's definitely like an element of like stigma attached to them a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I think it might be helpful for folks, perhaps if they've if they've never heard of the pelvic floor before, what is it? Given that we have yeah. one, 
all of yeah, us. Yeah, totally. I mean, usually, like, if I was, you know, talking to my patient, like, I would have my pelvic model. I don't. But, you know, if you put your hands, you know, where you would say your hips are, that's not actually your hips. It's actually your pelvis. So what actually, you know, where your hips is actually where the femur bone attaches into acetabulum, where it actually moves and you can flex and move around. So that's going to be more your hip. But your pelvis is actually where you put your hands hands there. And I would say like from where you put your hands all the way up until if you put your, you know, your hand right in between your legs, you know, where you were to feel your pubic bone or where your genitalia would be, like that would encompass your pelvis. So, you know, it consists of the pelvic bones and then it also consists of all of the musculature that's inside it. And I think people are really amazed that it has so many muscles because there's the muscles and I would like to think of it almost like a bowl. They have like all of the, the pelvic floor muscles on the inside of the bowl and all of them are working really, really hard in order to help to support all of your abdominal organs. It's not even just your reproductive organs, but like, and I, I hate the, you know, the word floor because floor is considered like an inanimate an object, you know, and it's just there. Whereas like the, the pelvic di diaphragm, you know, it's constantly moving and it's doing a lot of work in order to go and support all of our organs. So just in the same way, we have our respiratory diaphragm that sits under our rib cage that's moving every single time that we're taking a breath. So it's the same thing for the pelvic diaphragm. It's moving every single time we take a breath. If we really, really have to go pee, we're going to like engage our pelvic floor muscles a little bit more. If we have to go poop, you know, we're going to relax those pelvic floor muscles so we can be able to, you know, take a poop. You know, if we're birthing a child, like those muscles need to be able to be soft and relaxed in order for something to move through or to be able to have intercourse. So those muscles have to be relaxed for something to move in. So like there's muscles that are there. Um, so I mentioned like the organs, but we have our reproductive organs. So at least for those with uteruses, it's going to be the uterus. And then those, you know, with the penis, they'll just have the bladder and then there's the rectum. But then there are, you know, so you have those organs that are working and doing a lot of function without us really realizing it. But then you have ligaments that attach those organs into that pelvic bowl as well, too. And organs, just like our heart and our liver and our kidneys and our stomach and our intestines, they need to move. Like when you have movements, which is what's happening every single time we, we're digesting or our heart is beating then the organs function better. And it's the same thing with our reproductive organs, like they need to move. And so one of the big things that I see, and I think, especially during the pandemic, it was like, they called it like the, it was like, a, it was a pandemic of like pelvic floor dysfunction because everyone was sitting a lot more, you know, people weren't in their routines or like walking to work and everyone was just sitting and watching Netflix. So there was a lot of like, a lot of cases of like really tight pelvic floor muscles, you know, just from how people were sitting or because they weren't as active, you know, as they had been previous to the pandemic. So we're definitely seeing a lot of, you know, pelvic floor tightness. So we want to make sure that those muscles are moving. And again, it's more than just, you know, the organs, but also just like from movements as well too. Like every single time that we're walking, we're allowing for those muscles and those ligaments to be able to move, which then also affects how well the organs are moving as well. And so, so yeah, so I mentioned all of the organs, we have the muscles, we have the ligaments, we have nerves in there. We have nerves, we have big vascular supply as well too. So we have lymph. So there's lots of things, you know, in that area. And I think lymph is also really great, you know, to talk about because just in the same way that we have lymph nodes, you know, in our armpit or, you know, if we're sick, then we have it, you know, around our jaw and our neck. But we have a lot in our groin area as well too. And so, you know, there's conditions like pelvic congestion syndrome. So again, you know, people who have like pelvic pain, you know, it could be because again, there's a lot of stagnation. There's not a lot of movement there. And if there isn't good blood flow, 
that's going to again affect like the functioning. So a lot of, you know, patients that I work with and that I see, you know, they're dealing with like several levels of pelvic pain, you know, whether it is, you know, you know, guys who just don't move very much, you know, or if it's because of, I treat, you know, patients with endometriosis you know, or they have a diagnosis of fibroids and that will cause a lot of pelvic pain or they'll have really heavy periods. And so trying to get, you know, especially if they've been dealing with painful periods and pelvic pain for years and years and years, it's like, you know, taking birth control pills and it's like having to really dig through the weeds as to like, well, what is causing that? Because especially if it's been like five years, 10 years, you know, of taking birth control pills to just kind of hide or get rid of the symptoms, but not really address like what's going on, I think is important. So, you know, definitely, I guess like then, you know, answering the question is to like, you know, what is pelvic floor and why it's important, you know, so definitely if someone is experiencing pelvic pain, um, if you have difficulty with, you know, being able to have a bowel movement, constipation, a lot of people are constipated. Then, you know, we talk about constipation and they say like, oh yeah, I'm not constipated, but I go like every other day or every two or three days, like, no, you're constipated. Like you should be going, having a bowel movement every day. And then when you do have a bowel movement, it should be, and like, hopefully it's not TMI, but it should be like, a, like a sausage, like a log, you know, it should be smooth. There shouldn't be cracks. There shouldn't really be cracks in it. There shouldn't be like rabbit pellets. It shouldn't be hard to pack. I feel like that's also a big thing that I see is like constipation. There's a lot of folks who have issues with, you know, urinary frequency it's where they're going to the bathroom, you know, too much, or it's even leakage. And so like, you know, at least in the pole community, that's definitely something that I see a lot is, you know, urinary leakage. And a lot of that is from, you know, doing a certain trick, especially if they're new to it and holding their breath. So not in the, like I mentioned, like breathing earlier, like just how that respiratory diaphragm has a direct relationship with the pelvic diaphragm. So if then if you think of, okay, like it's your first time, like climbing up a pole, you're not very strong. So like upper body strength isn't there. Your core strength isn't there. And so you're going to like, you want to climb up the pole because you see, you know, the other student doing it, and then you're going to hold your breath, you know, or try to do an inversion, you know, and you've never done it before, or like, you're just not conditioned, you know, to do it. And then you're like holding your breath to try to get into the movement. Then you and eventually condition yourself to always do that every single time. Like, okay, I'm about to get into my chopper. I'm going to hold my breath and then go into the move. Or as you climb up the pole, you're holding your breath the whole entire time. So that way then you're so exhausted by the time you get to the top and like that constant holding and tension that doesn't allow again, the diaphragms to be able to move. And that's going to create all that constant tension in the pelvic muscles so that over time, those muscles need to be able to be extensible. They need to be able to lengthen. They need to be able to contract, you know, they need to be moving like synergistically with each other. And so if it's always like, okay, I'm going to clench and tighten up, you know, just by holding my breath and you're doing that all the time, like over time, those muscles are going to fatigue that way. Then, you know, maybe you've been able to get by for a while. And then the next time you do a chopper, you know, or the next time you try to climb up then you notice you have a little bit of leak. You know, when you think that like, oh, my pelvic floor muscles aren't strong enough because I'm leaking, but it's actually the opposite. It's actually, they're too tight and they've been too tight for so long that they've just been fatiguing and that they no longer have the capacity to be able to maintain its integrity so that we, you don't leak, you know, if you're doing something, you know, we're having to apply a lot of intra-abdominal pressure. So yeah, so that's something I definitely see a lot of. Yeah. I, I don't know if I went on a tangent, but hopefully that covered a little bit, at least like, you know, what is the pelvis, you know, what it consists of why it's important. You know, again, like I said, everybody poops and pees. So if you are experiencing a lot of these things, I think it's important, you know, to see it as something important to address, you know, and not wait until it becomes a bigger issue. Ah, 
Yeah, I think there's a lot of really good relevant information in there for folks. And also I think something that certainly when I was, you know, younger, the only information I ever got about the pelvic floor was that you gotta be squeezing all it. You gotta do Kegels. And that's like the only thing I heard for, you know, much of my young adult life. And it wasn't until I, you know, started doing polls, started, you know, talking to more physical therapists, um, that I realized that like, oh, actually really squeezing hard all the time is a huge problem and doesn't allow you to have, you know, all the normal bodily functions you want to have. Definitely. And I think that's probably a misconception that a lot of folks have, because I imagine most folks, you know, who aren't, <laughs> don't have the education that you do, sort of had the education that I did, which is that they heard something one time from somebody. Yeah, no, it definitely, I think that that's like a big myth that is still perpetuated even today. I think that a lot of just mainstream media, you know, magazines, you know, I don't know, like I used to get like, you know, Cosmo and stuff, and I'm assuming those magazines are still around, but, you know, or even just like online magazines, but like when they talk about like, oh, you know, improve sexual pleasure, you know, make sure you're doing like a lot of kegels and like that, you know, doing that yes, maybe helpful. And for some people it's indicated for them to do kegels, but there needs to be a balance. Like, so when you squeeze, you also need to relax, you know, again, like that's what you're looking for in those muscles. And I think that that's one of the things that is a big missing piece. It's not talked about like, Hey, well, yeah, do the kegels and contract, but make sure you're also relaxing. So that way the muscles also have a chance to just lengthen and you don't want to just be holding this constant tension, 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 tension all the time you know, cause then it's actually doing a disservice to what it is that you're trying to, you know, improve. So yeah, I, I feel like, like I mentioned, you know, at least like public floor physical therapy, it's becoming more well-known, you know, doctors are at least recommending their patients, you know, to go see a public PT. So that way, if someone is having those issues of like, you know, urinary incontinence, or if they're having pelvic pain, especially if they're holding all that constant tension, and then they're trying to have intercourse, or they're trying to insert a tampon or a menstrual cup, or they have pain with pelvic exams, and it's painful because there's just so much tension and tightness there, then, you know, I feel like a lot more doctors are recommending, like, you need to go see a public PT to address this. I'm hoping that more, le that less and less doctors are recommending, like, oh, you need to do more kegels, because like, that definitely is not going to, you know, resolve all that public floor tightness, so. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So thinking about, you know, pole dancers specifically, so maybe you, you recognize yourself in the description of holding your breath all the time, and, you know, students who've been working with me for a while know that I'm really good at this point at telling over video call whether or not you're breathing. So some of y'all have gotten yelled at a lot, and also gotten better, I should, I should say. Yeah. Which, you know, it's hard, right? Because you're thinking about other things, and, like, your primary focus is, like, surviving and keeping yourself safe, which is great, yeah, and I applaud. Sure. But if you're doing, you know, if you're training everything at the level of like, I can barely do this and it feels very dangerous, maybe take it down a couple notches so that you yeah, can really definitely. focus on form and breathing mm -hmm. and not just like, I gotta muscle through. Yeah, yeah. But beyond that, so it's just my recommendation as a, as a pole teacher, what sort of things should, should pole dancers think about? So oh, we talked about like not just doing Kegels all the time, not holding your breath, but what other sort of things would, you know, affect the, the pelvic floor and might make pole harder? I think, I mean, one of the things that when someone is new to it and they're realizing like that they're not very strong and they assume that it's all upper body strength and like, yes, there is a level of upper body strength. 
I feel like a lot of it is also core strength. Like that's where you are primarily moving from. The core needs to be stable in order for the legs to then be able to wrap around the pole or for the legs to then, you know, squeeze around the pole and then to be able to move your arms up, there needs to be that level of stability. So that's what we definitely spend, you know, a lot of time, at least you know, doing some conditioning and making sure that the core is nice and warm and that it's strong. So that would be something I would say that is important, you know, to work on, especially if that, if that is something that they aren't doing, you know, in their conditioning classes or, you know, it's just like a prep. And then I would say, you know, like, especially as a PT, one of the things I always say is like any exercise can be a core exercise. So it doesn't have to necessarily be like the standard sit-ups. It doesn't have to be like the planks. Like for me, it's like, we're dynamic things. Like we don't, we don't like stay as if like we're in a plank position, like while we're moving, like we're, we're walking and we're walking and then picking something up, you know, we're pretty dynamic. And that's the way I feel like our movements, you know, especially when we're conditioning should be as well. It should be pretty dynamic. So, you know, when I'm doing warm ups, when I'm doing conditioning stuff, you know, I want that to also be present as well too. Um, so I would say that's one piece is definitely the conditioning part. I would say that, that like active flexibility is also a big one as well too. And so, and you say like the active flexibility, so it's more than just being like flexible as if like, if you've gone to yoga, like a lot of that, I would say is like passive flexibility that you're able to just like drop down into a split, but can you go into a split upside down and do it like a Jasmine or a Jade split, you know, for example, and do that, you know, upside down. Um, that's very, very different. And so I think that there's also a big level of a lack of flexibility as well as strength, you know, in that range that you're able, that most people are able to maintain. So I would say like, if people are wanting to improve, you know, having, you know, especially if your studio offers classes on active flexibility or just like finding a teacher, you know, who specializes in that, you know, I think that that's really, really important. And I would say that that's more, it's different than just like, okay, well, I'll just go to a yoga class. You know, I would say it's more, it's going to be more mobility type exercises. And like, when we talk about mobility, that's an aspect of both flexibility and strength, you know, again, that you're able to like hold a split, but then be able to transition, you know, from, you know, a pancake, you know, into a middle split and you're not, and you have the strength and the stability to be able to do that. So I think that that is also a really important piece. And then I think like, when I think about the active flexibility and the mobility, then I think of like the joints as well too. I think we live in a Western society. We sit a lot and we're also on our phones. <laughs> so, you know, the major joints that I see are big issues is definitely cervical spine because of this like forward head posture and then definitely shoulders because most are, most people tend to be very rounded and internally rotated in their shoulders, which is going to make it really, really hard if you're looking for external rotation in the shoulders, you know, and to be able to lift your arms up overhead. And then obviously like neck position, you know, that's going to have a huge impact. Um, so that way, instead of you actually moving like, you know, through your lats, for example, you know, then you're like tensing up through your upper traps in order to be able to do anything. And I think just because a lot of us are, you know, we are sedentary, we're not, you know, so like whether it's pole or like any type of, you know, exercise, like we sit for a majority of the time and then we go to a one hour class and think that, you know, we should be able to do all this stuff, but then we've been sitting for eight hours a day. Then there's a lot of like hip joint stiffness as well too, that I see. So I feel like those are really, really big limiting factors and probably even wrists, you know, cause definitely like having that grip strength, that's not something we spend a lot of time doing is like gripping, gripping the pole. 
but then also having, again, because we're like this all the time. So then having that, you know, wrist extension, because then that can also create elbow issues, you know, especially if you don't have the strength um, or even the stability in the shoulders and you don't have that in the wrist, then you're definitely, it's going to come from somewhere. So it'll be affected whether in the shoulders or in the elbow or even in the wrist. And that's where you see definitely like a lot of common injuries. It's definitely more shoulder related than it is like hip related, unless like they're, you know, it's like a hypermobility issue, you know, for example. I would say like, yeah, I would say like, those are like the biggest things. It's like, you know, definitely like joint mobility, active flexibility, core strength, I think is the other, you know, and then obviously what we talked about earlier, just about, you know, pelvic floor and like too much pelvic floor contraction and stuff. So. Yeah, definitely. And you also, you mentioned like way earlier on, I'm not going to find the timestamp, but also just body awareness and understanding of yeah. where you are in relationship to the pole in your position in space, which is something you can train, I think. Folks may not, may not realize that you can learn to get better at that. It's just like being able to like hear differences between notes a little bit better. You can train that sense. Yeah, definitely. No, one of the things that I love doing, which in my warmups that I think like sometimes some of the students are like looking at me like really weird, like, why are we doing this is like brain teasers. It's, you know, kind of like, you know, patting your belly or patting your head and rubbing your belly at the same time. So we'll do things with the upper body while also doing something different with the lower body. And it's good. It confuses your brain, which is like what you want, because when you're in an inversion and then you have to do something with your arms and your legs, but you're upside down, it's like, yeah, it's like you see when you see the person doing it, you're like in that, you know, your standard orientation. But then when you're upside down, it's totally different. And it can be really, really confusing and disorienting if you don't have that just spatial awareness of, oh, where do my arms go? Where do my legs go? You know, how am I supposed to get it, you know, around the pole and stuff? So I think like brain teasers, you know, with your body, like just like as part of a warm up, I think you're really, really great just to kind of develop that proprioception of like just where your body, where your joints are in space. And the more that you do that, it's going to make it a lot easier. Yeah, definitely. And also, you know, good for your brain as well as your, your pole yeah, dance. Sure. So holistic, yes, everything benefits. Yeah. Hi, <laughs> right. I'm checking my notes. Uh, sure. So perhaps folks who are listening, they might, you know, have recognized some of the, the symptoms that you mentioned. When are, when would you recommend somebody seek out a pelvic or physical therapist, public physical therapist, or maybe talk to their primary care provider about talking to one. And also, are they called the same thing everywhere? So in the U.S., so people are listening through the, in the U.S., they're usually just called public, public floor physical therapist or public health physical therapist. And then if it's like anywhere else in the world, they call them physiotherapists. So they're the same, public floor physical therapist, public health or physiotherapist. However, there, there, there are, you know, really well-trained individuals like who will call themselves just a pelvic health therapist or a pelvic health specialist, but they're not licensed as a physical therapist. So, you know, and especially with physical therapy, it is a licensing type of program, you know, where we're governed by, you know, the government. So if anyone does anything bad, then, you know, we're held accountable and stuff. So, you know, and there, there are, you know, especially if you go on like Instagram or social media, you know, there's people who will call themselves a pelvic health therapist, um, which, and I think, you know, like, yes, because whether, you know, from whatever training that they've received, you know, which I think, you know, is definitely valid, but then you just want to make sure how they approach their service is going to be very different. It can be very different. So whoever you find, you know, especially if it's a recommendation from, you know, your doctor, you know, or from your friend. You want to make sure you don't just like, okay, let me just go and sign up 
for, you know, an appointment, you know, especially if you've never done this before, you know, I, I have patients just like, I'll do like a 15 minute consult so they can just like, Hey, this is what I'm experiencing. Like, how can you help me? And I'll talk about like, what are my modalities? What it is that I do, how I practice. I do internal work. So I'm, you know, I, I, I'm still an orthopedic physical therapist. That's my general, you know, special, my, my general education. So I'm going to look at the whole entire body. Like I'm going to look at the spine. I'm going to look at how your shoulders move. I'm going to look at how your hips move. I'm going to do muscle testing. So I'm going to do all those things, range of motion, but then I'm also going to look, you know, specifically at the pelvis and I'm going to be doing some manual therapy techniques that will be more externally, you know, related. So like looking at, you know, how the uterus moves um, or the bladder, but then I'm also treating internally, you know, as well too. So I'm going to be like looking at, you know, you know, feeling for the cervix, feeling for all the pelvic floor muscles. So feeling for the urethra and the bladder, it's like all of those things. And so there are some pelvic and even those who call themselves, you know, pelvic health, physical therapists, they might have received all of the training or done all the continuing education, you know, and so some of them are just like exercise based, you know, so they'll, they'll treat public health conditions, but, you know, more so, especially if like, you know, someone is like postpartum, you know, for example, you know, or pregnant and then they want to get back into a certain sport. So then they'll, they'll treat, but it'll be more sports related, you know, but they won't actually treat internally. And so that's something you want to make sure you want to make sure that whoever it is that you're seeking out will cover everything because otherwise then you're going to spend a lot of wasted time and money, you know, working with someone who's only going to be looking at one piece of the puzzle. You want someone who's looking at everything. So they're looking orthopedically, they're looking at, you know, what's going on internally. They're looking at what's going on externally, but then they're also asking questions. on like, what is your sleep? Like, what is your stress? Like, what is your nutrition? Because all of those have an impact on the public floor as well, too. You know, are you sedentary? Do you exercise? Do you move? Like all of those things. They have to make sure that someone is really treating holistically and looking at all of those things. Cause those are big factors you know, and if, you know, then definitely, and there are, I know like, especially in Australia, there's some really great, you know, pole physios who also, you know, do pelvic floor as well. So you just want to, especially like if, you know, whether that's pole or you're a runner, you know, or you do a particular sport, you know, it's, I would say it's definitely helpful if you want to be getting, getting better at pole or not leak, you know, when you're doing a certain move on the pole, like find a pelvic PT you know, and in some cases someone at least has experience, like even if it's just like, you know, working with circus, you know, athletes, you know, or like aerial athletes, because they'll have a good understanding. It's, you know, almost similar apparatus, but you just want to make sure that you find someone who's trained. You don't want to just go to your OBGYN and say like, I need a referral to a public PT. And they just take you to, you know, at the one at the local hospital and they've never, you know, worked with like, you know, an aerial, you know, athlete before, you know, it's cause it's just, it's going to be different, different demands that your body is requiring you to do. If you're having pain, especially pelvic pain, one of the things they'll say is like, we'll just stop doing it. It's like, no, like if that's what you love doing and that's your sport, you want to still do it. Like, you know, that shouldn't be the answer that's given. It should be like, okay, well, let's dig deeper and figure out why you're having this issue. So we can help you and make sure that you can continue to do you know, do polls. So yeah. So at least that's like the difference. And like, n- I would say like none are good or bad, you know, you know, cause even there's some pelvic, pelvic floor physical therapists that, you know, may not be that great. You know, some people might not see me as great and they might see someone else as better, but that's why you just want to kind of do your due diligence and just make sure, you know, you know what you're getting when you're, you're signing up. So, yeah, so dig around, figure out what's going on, you know, maybe, maybe contact offices and ask like, Hey, what sort of modalities do you use? That sort of thing. For sure. Yeah, definitely. 
don't know if that answered that question. Was there another piece to it that you had asked? I can't remember. I'm rewinding the tapes in my mind. Oh, so when would you recommend somebody see it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this, yeah, I forgot you had asked that. Um, So I would think, yeah, so like if you're experiencing pelvic pain, you know, and this is, I would just say like in general life. So like if you're having pain with sitting, you know, if you are walking and you're having like some type of discomfort, you know, so any type of pelvic pain, if you have pain with intercourse, if you're having pain when you're having, you know, any like a bowel movement or urinating, like then definitely, yes, like that's not normal for you to have pain when you're doing any of those things. So that's definitely one of the things you want to seek help for. I would say definitely, like I mentioned earlier, like constipation, you know, so if you are constipated, you know, we are, our scope of practice is also to talk about nutrition and digestive health as well too. So we'll take a look at that. I would also say like, you know, even if there isn't anything related to the pelvic floor, I think that there are also a lot of people who are super athletes, you know, cause there are some pole students who come into pole having done like ballet or lots of other really hard training and they have super hard abs, you know, which is not the healthy either, you know, you want muscles to be flexible. And so then that can also create constipation too, because if everything is just so like hard and tight, again, you're going to have issues with things moving. So definitely constipation issues, any type of urinary leakage urgency. So if you're always getting the constant urge to go pee, if you're having a lot of frequency, that is more than normal for you. The norm is usually about every two to four hours. You should you know, have to go pee. If you're going every 30 minutes, that's way too much. (laughs) Even if, you know, and even if it's like drinking water, you know, but still like that's a little excessive. Yeah. If you have pain with intercourse, I would say like definitely, you know, if you have painful periods, you know, if you tend to have like really heavy cramping or heavy bleeding, that's abnormal. Like a person with a uterus should be able to have a period from the beginning to the end, like minor cramping. There shouldn't be pain. Like that's not normal if you're having pain. Don't if that's something that you've been told, you know, when you hit puberty, like that's just part of being a woman. Like that's false and that's wrong. Like there's something that's going on and it shouldn't just be covered up with birth control pills. And so I think that's important that, you know, for that to be addressed. But I'd say that those are the biggest, yeah, those are the biggest things, you know? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely more, but I mean that I would say like, that's the general. I think also like, you know, if you've ever had any type of surgery as well too. So I mean, most people have lived their lives and have had like some type of surgery as a little kid or as a baby and, you know, then end up having issues and not really understanding why they're having the issues, but it's because of a surgery that they had as a little kid, like from a hernia, you know, for example, you know, umbilical hernia or, you know, had some, like something going on with their, their colon and had to get that fixed as a baby you know, but like as a little kid, you know, like the scar tissue and scar tissue, like I love working on scar tissue and scar tissue proliferates. Like it doesn't stop growing. Like that will continue to grow and proliferate inside the body and scar tissue will tether onto other organs. So, you know, definitely if people are feeling like, you know, this weird pain that just came out of nowhere and they're not really understanding why, you know, and then they have a scar, you know, on their belly, you know, from 10, 15, 20 years ago, but they don't really remember sometimes a lot of the issues that they're dealing with, you know, could be from an old scar. So that's also, you know, yeah. So saying that's kind of like playing detective, you know, like figuring out like what's going on. Cause that's what a lot of it is, especially if they've been dealing with issues for years and it's not like acute, like it just came about like a week ago, if it's been chronic for years, like we have to play detective sometimes to like figure out like, well, why is this coming about or why are they having this issue? 
you know, you know, especially then if they get into pole, you know, and then they're asking their body to do things that they haven't done before, then that will definitely exacerbate a lot of issues even more. So I think there's something in there that you mentioned that I think may also be a surprise for people, which is that hard abs and just like constantly Mm. having your tummy like sucked in and clenched and it's not great for you. (laughs) Yeah. Oh gosh. I would probably say one of the other things that you mentioned just like about things for people to be mindful of. I think also just like as a culture, most women have a tendency to like kind of suck in their belly which makes it really hard for you to be able to take a deep breath. And I know it's like kind of counter to what, you know, society wants us to do, but you have to let your belly relax. So you got to let your belly hang, even if it means like, okay, there's a little pooch, you know, you know, or even if you have bloating, I would say like, also then the other question is like, you went to see a, a, a public PT is like, if you have constant bloating, you know, especially mm-hmm. after eating, you know, then that's also, that's a dysfunction. Like you shouldn't, you should be able to eat a meal and not be like super bloated, you know, and then most people will be bloated and then they'll just kind of like hug it in. Cause they don't want, you know, their belly to distend. And then that's going to just create even more pain. Cause that gas is just there. And that doesn't feel good when that gas is just kind of stuck. So like, let your belly relax. Like that took me a really long time to kind of let go of that holding. And I feel like that's something that we do a lot of. So it's not a good thing to have like a super hard belly, nor is it a good thing to like suck it in and like, you know, create the suction and do that all the time. I think like, you know, there's certain like yoga poses, like when you're holding it, especially if if you're doing like a photo shoot or, you know, it's nice because you want to be able to create like this nice extension, you know, in your back that you're doing it temporarily, you know, to hold that, but it shouldn't be something that you're holding all of the time every day, you know, especially if you're doing a whole hour, you know, class that you're holding in your belly the whole entire time. But I would say that's the other thing is like, let your belly breathe. Like I'll just allow it to like go out. So you heard the doctor relax yeah. your tummy. Yeah. <laughs> and it can, especially if it's something that you've been trained to do, even if it wasn't intentional, it can be really hard to not do it. It's something that I've been working on a lot these last couple of years. And like, even just like sitting there, I'll be like, oh, I'm sucking in my tummy for no reason. I'm in my oh. own home. <laughs> like there is, I am in a safe space. Oh. I am comfortable. There's no reason for me in this position to be holding tension there. And just like being like, relax, <laughs> damn it. It's so hard. Yeah. It's very, very conditioned, especially if that's what we've kind of seen around us and no one has told us, you know, to do the opposite. So I'm giving you permission to allow your belly to relax. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we're coming, we're kind of coming close to the end of time. And I know you said you had to teach right after this one, which I'm not keeping you too late, but how can folks, you know, follow you, find out more and even work with you? Cause I know, I mean, some folks may be in Oakland and it might be very convenient for them, but I know you also do some stuff online as well. So do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. Well, people can find me on my website, which is selfcarephysio.com. I am on Instagram, carephysio. I'm not as active as I would like to be, but I'm also, you know, taking some time off of social media as well too. So, but yeah, I mean, when I was more active, there's lots of really great info on there. So you can and I'm based out in the Bay area. So Oakland, Alameda, San Francisco, you know, general area. So I have an office in Emeryville. So people can come and work with me there. I also offer home visits as well. So, cause I work with definitely with like pregnancy postpartum population. So I definitely offer home visits for those, but if someone just, you know, 
that convenience, you know, would prefer someone to come to their home. I can always do that. I do work virtually as well too. So, and a lot of my offerings, you know, definitely pelvic floor related stuff. I do do women's health coaching. And I would say a lot of it is, you know, especially if it's like tied to pelvic related conditions, but then also like anything woman related or, you know, yeah, just related to, you know, their health. So whether it's just, you know, getting back into a certain kind of lifestyle, you know, whether it's like in regards to eating or physical activity or anything, you know, in general, because again, like anything that's affecting the physical is going to have an effect on the emotional and the mental. And so all of that needs to be addressed. And so, yeah, so I offer that virtually. Yeah. And then, I mean, a lot of the work that I do is definitely, at least recently, it has been more like around the perinatal, you know, realm. I I love working with folks who are trying to conceive. So especially those who've had endo, you know, like endometriosis and like surgeries, you know, to get the endo removed. And even then just again, I've had a, a really great patient, you know, who did pull, you know, got pregnant, did pull while she was pregnant, had some pain, you know, while she was pregnant and then had her baby, had a beautiful baby and then was like, okay, now I'm ready to get back on pole, you know? And so kind of going through that whole journey, like that's also like, you know, I love working with those folks as well too, because it's different, you know, like what that postpartum journey and just kind of getting your body conditioned and ready to be able to move again, like not just Hey, hold your baby, but like, okay, hold your baby. And also to be able to climb up the pole and do the things that you used to be able to do. So that's a really great population of folks to work with. And I also love working with people with pelvic pain, especially if they've been dealing with pain for, especially chronic pain. Cause that's just, that's a whole other beast, but yeah, like they need just a lot more support. And I feel like sometimes doctors just kind of wash their hands, you know, of that. Cause they've done all the surgeries or given all the medication that they can. And when it comes to chronic pelvic pain, like that just, it, it takes years. Like that's something that takes a really long time. So then I, I feel like I have the patience and I just, I like it because it's just a different, it's a different way of treating. So that's a great population to work with. But really anything, you know, pelvic related, you know, I love, I love doing and working with. Yeah. But there's like, those are the places you can find me. I have intentions, which I'm putting out into the world and, you know, I will be doing it next year to put out two retreats. So one will be for those, again, my other passion is those who've had pregnancy loss. So one will be for pregnancy loss. And I'm hoping just to do a general retreat for female pelvic owners. If you have a pelvis and you're a female and to be able to learn, you know, at least in the community of other women. And so that's something I'm hoping to offer like as a retreat, you know, for like three or four days and, you know, it will be educational, but also will be a lot of, you know, sharing and, you know, how to eat, you know, well for your pelvis and for your periods and stuff like that. So that's hope, something I'm hoping to together for next year. And so I'm excited, but yeah, that's like, that's, those are like some of my big offerings that I'll be doing pretty soon. So. Awesome. So keep an eye out for, for those follow on Instagram. I'll put my, the, the link down in the bio and yeah, also link to your, to your website if folks want to, want to reach out and, and learn more. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and also you've got some some nice instructional videos as well that folks might might find yeah, helpful. I do. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. All right. Well, I don't want to keep you past time. I very much appreciate you coming on. I think this has been a wealth of information. I am consciously relaxing my tummy right now. I'm sucking <laughs> it in. Gosh, thank you very much. Thank you for joining. And I will talk to everyone else very soon. Bye.
Well, thanks so much. Thank you. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me today, Pole Dancer. This podcast is a production of Slink Through Strength, the inclusive, evidence-based online pole studio. So if you're looking for a place to train, either off-pole, conditioning and flexibility, or learning pole tricks and refining your pole movement, you can find us online at slinkthroughstrength.com.